Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein at Pure Hoops Media. And this is episode number 77, the Luka Doncic episode, who's off to a hot start and certainly in the early season MVP discussions. The holiday season is off and rolling with NFL in full stride and the NFL and NHL hitting mid-season form. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info with up-to-the-minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Bet Online is the top is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And not just for the big four. Bet Online has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access anytime for almost any sport that is played. From MMA to international soccer. Head to Bet on Bet Online today, and remember to use our promo code Believe. That is B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts, and we'll start tonight with a special guest right after this. All right, uh, thank you, Ross, and we are here with our special guest tonight on Forty Eight Minutes, uh, Dave McMenamin. Dave, uh, I want you all to know, is a Hall of Famer, literally. Um, two weeks ago, he was inducted into the Radnor, Pennsylvania High School Hall of Fame for his two J's, his jump shot back in the day, and his journalism career right now. Uh, Dave covers the Lakers for ESPN.com, as well as on TV and radio and digital platforms for the network. He's been at ESPN since 2009. He's covered the league for almost 20 years, and during his time, he also covered the Cavaliers with LeBron James, and nobody knows the Lakers and LeBron better than Dave. Dave was also with future Hall of Famer Carmelo Anthony, the night Syracuse won the national championship in 2003. Now, Dave and myself are both uh, fellow Syracuse alums, and I do have a complete scouting report on you, Dave, uh, from Adam Stanko, <laughs> our mutual friend. Oh, so no. you have so you have been warned. Welcome to 48 Minutes, Dave. Uh, do you and Melo still hang out? Uh Glad to be here with you, Bruce and, and Ross. Uh, Melo and I, do, we, we hung out. It took us 20 years uh, in between hangouts. So we were together when he was a freshman and I was a sophomore at, at Syracuse. And I guess it was 19 years. And then last year of his career, he, lo and behold, he's on the Los Angeles Lakers roster. And uh, we got to reconnect. Of course, over the course of his career, we'd see each other from time to time. Uh, but it was cool to like, you know, uh, recognize we're twice as old as we were when we first uh, came across one another. And and here we are still, you know, following the bouncing ball around. Man, speaking of old timers bouncing the ball pretty well, we got to start with LeBron. I mean, Sunday night, he had one of those games you just cannot believe a 39 year old could have. You wrote about it on ESPN.com on Monday. Really good column as usual for you. Against a young and hungry Rockets team, he went for a season-high 37 and destroyed Houston down the stretch in a one-point win. Uh, he's in his 21st year. He's shooting nearly 59% from the floor, and he leads the Lakers in scoring and assists, second in rebounds and minutes played. Now, I've been saying for more than 10 years that I believe he's the greatest all-around player in the history of the sport. The Jordan crowd will never admit it, but there was a GOAT before MJ, and there can be one after him, too. What are your thoughts on that, Dave? Well, I'll just talk about his season right now before we get into the GOAT discussion. Uh, you know, I, there's been a pushback, I guess, the one thing I've seen, the narrative that you know he's comparing his career in year 21 
um, to guys who were their same age and say year 16 or 17 because they went to college. You know, obviously he came straight prep to pros and that wasn't available, an available option for guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Well, that's all well and good. But Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in year 17 wasn't leading the league in fourth quarter scoring average. He wasn't shooting the best shooting percentage of his entire career up to that point. And so, you know, uh, what LeBron is doing this year is really pushing his own limits. That's the way he termed it when he asked him about it the other night. Um, and I talked to him about it over the weekend. We were in Portland about his efficiency in particular. And he said, really, it's kind of like a practice makes perfect scenario right now because of the injuries he's had the last couple of years. He wasn't using off days to be on the court. Uh, it, it was Dan Marley School of Basketball. You save your body for the games. Uh, but now that he's feeling better, his foot has healed. He had that, that tendon issue that cost him a chunk of last year's games. And even when he came back, he wasn't fully uh, playing with his normal burst. He's getting back in the gym on off days. Um, and his shot looks a lot better. And that was really, I think, the one thing you could critique really over his entire career. But, but particularly in last year's playoff run the Lakers had. Uh, he was great in so many aspects of the game except his three-point shot was completely fell off the map. And right now he's shooting 40%, and the Lakers, despite a lot of injuries and things going on this year, uh, they're eight and six, and they got a shot, especially as Jared Vanderbilt comes back, Gabe Vincent will come back after that, um, to be one of the teams that matter in the Western Conference this year. Dave, thanks for joining us here tonight. Uh, certainly think the, the Lakers are in a great spot right now, and obviously kind of hitting their stride right now behind LeBron James uh, and his efficiency. One guy that's slowly starting to find his groove after obviously a very busy summer is Austin Reeves. And Reeves really started to get it going after Darvin Ham's decision to move him uh, out of the starting lineup and having him come off the bench. The move seems to have paid off so far. It really gives them a nice look off that bench, especially if D'Angelo Russell doesn't have it going like he didn't last night. Um, can you talk a little bit of, about Reeves, and do you see him more as a sixth man, or do you think he will go back into the starting lineup as the season goes on? Well, so far, so good with that move, right? Not just for Austin coming off the bench, but Cam Reddish has had some really good moments yes. yep. taking his spot in the starting lineup. And you know, it gives the starters a point-of-attack defender that, that, quite frankly, as heady and as shifty and as smart, Austin Reeves is and is how willing he is to sacrifice his body and say, take a charge. He just doesn't have the physical skills of that position that Cam Reddish brings to the table. And we are already sharing the court with the starting crew that has LeBron. And we just spoke about how great he's been playing uh, offensively, but defensively is not what he once was. The, his effort, you know, ebbs and flows on that end. And then, of course, D'Angelo Russell, again, not a plus defender. That just shores up that group. And then Austin, on the other hand, it, it allows him to kind of get that confidence back, get the reps, get the um, kind of offense within his hands with that second group. Now, he's had to kind of find a new avenue to be successful. I mean, uh, other opposing teams are throwing bigger guards at him off the bench. Um, they're trying to wear him out uh, with a defender and or – uh, vice versa, wear him out going at him on the other end. And so it hasn't been necessarily such smooth sailing for him, but he's starting to catch a groove. He was great in that win. Um, you know, you talk about LeBron's 37 points uh, against the Rockets, but Austin Reeves had the shot of the night tied at 100 apiece 
with 24 seconds left. He hits a 31-footer to put the Lakers up three. Um, and he's going to be a big part. Now, whether he stays off the bench, I don't know. we got to see what happens with Jared Vanderbilt. I think there's a, a possibility that Vanderbilt would actually take Cam Reddish's spot. But you talk about D'Angelo Russell struggling um, the other night. Uh, look at Torian Prince. Uh, he struggled yeah. pretty much his entire time since coming to Los Angeles. And at some point, you have to wonder if, if that could be the move. Ultimately, you get Austin D'Lo, Jared Vanderbilt, LeBron James, and um, Anthony Davis, obviously, uh, as the starting five. You know, speaking of Anthony Davis, I mean, uh, one of your recent stories, if I remember, was uh, about Anthony Davis and how he's trying to be kind of like a big brother to some of the younger guys on the team. You know, Anthony Davis, we all know what a brilliant player he is, but I don't know. I follow the league about as closely as you can follow it, and I don't really have a great feel for Anthony Davis as a person. I kind of do about LeBron because he's very out there as far as, you know, talking about social stuff and all that. Is there anything you can share with us about the brow? Tell our, our listeners and us maybe something about Anthony Davis that's interesting that we had no idea about. Well, I'll start by saying this. Uh, for a guy who's, quote, unquote, a superstar, carries himself with very little ego, treats people, whether it be a locker room attendant to a team PR staffer to a young reporter just getting started on the beat to a reporter he's known for years, with respect, it's eye contact. It's um, you know recognizing that person as a human being uh, as much as someone within the ecosystem of the NBA world, which is something I respect immensely. And then he's he's a pretty chill, low key guy. Um, you know, he he loves the NFL. He gets giddy about the NFL. Um, me leaving the locker room last night was an opportunity for him to. Uh, you know, tweak me about the Eagles playing the Chiefs tonight and how I'm going to be shedding tears again tonight, just like I did in the Super Bowl. And that was preceded by him, you know, telling me about the greatest fantasy football trade of all time he made over the weekend <laughs> to get Lamar Jackson right before the uh, fantasy football uh, playoff. So you know, he, he's a guy that um, I think it's cool because he's a fan of sports while being a significant part of uh, the sports world which I, I think is, is just kind of fun and very relatable. Um, in terms of a teammate, you know, he is the guy who you know was organizing a Madden um, football video game tournament at his house over the weekend when the team was coming off um, a busy stretch of games, figuring this is a good way, hey, he can get off his feet, he can chill and have the party come to him. He hosts the annual Halloween party, kind of took – that torch from LeBron James um, as something that is important to promote team camaraderie. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at him and you say, man, he could be so much better. I think that's the critique that he normally gets. I would say anyone who's been through the amount of injuries he's been through and still shows up with a positive attitude and still has an eye on, on winning the ultimate prize is someone you should probably celebrate. Okay, so we know that he's a football fan, and we also know that he's from Chicago. And so if he's talking junk to you about NFL teams, you might want to remind him that the last time the Bears won the Super Bowl, he probably wasn't even born. In fact, I know he wasn't even born. <laughs> and Ronald Reagan was president. Well, the first junk starts actually because he's a Chicago guy who roots for the Packers. So what? he almost <laughs> is disqualified from any conversation that occurs. And then he also roots for the Jets because they have this guy, Aaron Rodgers. So he's all over the map uh, when it comes to sports <laughs> fandom. 
Now, Dave, with you spending so much time around the team, you had mentioned Cam Reddish. Obviously, he's off to a great start this year. He's been a guy that obviously came into the league as a highly touted rookie, had a ton of potential, has kind of bounced around, hasn't really found a home. L.A.'s looking like a home for him. Can you talk about that improved confidence he's received in L.A.? Are there any particular teammates that uh, you've noticed or observed kind of uh, – you know, putting an arm around him to kind of show him the way. I mean, this guy's got the the green light to let it fly from deep now. He's hitting over a three per game. And defensively, he's buying in too. I mean, he's ranked eighth in the league right now in steals at 1.8 per contest. So just a lot lot of good things coming out of Cam Reddish now. Um, And and I'm just curious your thoughts on kind of, you know, where that could be stemming from within the Lakers organization. Well, one guy who's been in his ears, D'Angelo Russell, and certainly they have that kind of parallel tracks coming into the league is a highly touted lottery pick who didn't necessarily pay off right away and, and you know, did bounce around. You know, D'Angelo goes from the Lakers to the Nets, to the Warriors, to the Timberwolves, back to the Lakers. Um, and we know that Cam's been with Atlanta and, and Portland and now in L.A. in a short amount of time. And you become more so the perception of you um, and your baggage than who you actually are. And, and, and D'Angelo um, shared with us how he kind of just told um, Cam that you have to be cognizant of that and not pretend that that doesn't exist. But the only way you can get out of it is to do the exact opposite of what you did before. You know, it's like the George Costanza yep. advice. He's getting um, tuna salad on toast, you know, rather than and, and a tea rather than a coffee. And so far, it's paying off. And uh, you know, I was talking to him the other day in the locker room, and um, he was, you know, kind of just saying how whether it was the fault of his um, own doing or the organizations he played for in the past, it just wasn't as organized as it is. You know, he mentioned that sometimes he show up to the arena before the game, and he wouldn't have a set time on the clock before tip off every game that he would do his on court workout. You know, some days it'd be 55 minutes before, some days 65 minutes before, right? And now with the Lakers, it's all regimented, and he really likes that. He feels like he's building his own routine that is paying off, and so he wants to just keep, you know, going into that because it's, you know, we all know this. Basketball, the biggest X factor, the the um, if any player could take it in in um, injection form would be confidence, you know, because if you have it you can be a completely different player. And right now he is getting infused by confidence from teammates like D'Angelo Russell, from teammates like LeBron. LeBron passes him for the open shot in Miami. He misses it. LeBron's not going to pass it again to you. Within a week, he does, and he hits it in Phoenix. Um, And then just through his own confidence, he's gaining by becoming a professional and and recognizing that if if I do A, B, and C, I'm going to start getting X, Y, Z results. Gotcha. And as uh, you mentioned, D'Angelo Russell being a mentor for Cam Reddish, one follow-up I have is D'Angelo Russell himself seems like he really took a step back this offseason, did some self-reflection, even said in the preseason that he's been looking up to Derek White's game, doesn't think he gets a lot of credit for what he does out there on the floor. We saw it in preseason. It looked like D'Angelo Russell was more committed on the defensive side of the basketball and wanting to be a little bit more like Derek White. What were your thoughts on that? And were you surprised to hear that from a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who, you know, came into the league as the second overall pick? Well, I do know that, um, you know, members of the Lakers organization, when they made their moves last year, um, Mm -hmm. they were kind of looking at the Celtics a year prior. 
uh, and, and the Derek White example was uh, something that they brought up saying like, you get the right person with the kind of the same core of, of top tier talent, it can all change. And so I'm sure that conversation has been passed along to D'Angelo as something to aspire to, to be the straw that stirs the drink and get them ultimately to where they want to get to is getting another banner uh, hanging from the rafters. Uh, defensively, there's still a lot of work to go for him. Um, and I know he is coming off a, a rough shooting night against the Rockets. But going into the Rockets game, I remember I looked at his, his stat line. It was something like 18 and a half points. 48% from the field, 39% from three, and 80-plus percent from the free throw line with with not a, an abundant amount of turnovers and a pretty good assist rate. Actually, about a week ago now, I don't know um, where it is right now, but a week ago he ranked in the NBA's top 10 in assists. And if that stands, he'd be the first teammate of LeBron's in LeBron's career to rank in the top 10 in assists while sharing the court with LeBron, which – you know, is a very uh, a layered compliment to him. One that LeBron is comfortable having the, the ball out of his hands enough to have him, uh, you know, orchestrating the offense. But two that he's doing something when he has the ball. So he's he's really had a, a strong season. I just because this is the the narrative around the Lakers uh, for better or for worse is that they got to get better because they got to catch the Denver, they got to catch the Milwaukee, the Boston. Um, you know, probably Phoenix maybe would be the, the teams that you look out there. And because of the contracts number that D'Anzo is at, um, he gets thrown into every hypothetical trade scenario. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this much. The Lakers are not interested in any of the, the, the trades that you've heard out there in the current iteration and or in the current moment. One, because they literally can't make any of those trades. Um, really probably until the middle of January because b- before some of the contracts that they signed in the offseason uh, become eligible to be traded. But two, because they still haven't seen their team yet. And so if yep. D'Angelo Russell can look this good, missing a backup that can get him some spells here and there in Gabe Vincent, and if he can look this good without having um, a guy in um, Jared Vanderbilt that he can switch with when he totally sells out on, on a pick and roll um, and know you have that elite defender behind you. What if he could look even better when you get those guys there? So the Lakers are really looking at the next couple months as the first chance to see what this team is. And that's going to be what, 20, 30 games. And then they'll make decisions to go from there. You know, the Lakers get probably more scrutiny than any other team in the NBA. You know, the, you know, somebody burps on the Lakers. It's like, Oh, does he have stomach problems? You know, whatever. <laughs> so their coach, I think, you know, Darvin Ham comes off to me. And again, you know him way better than me. My experience with him consisted of three pregame interviews during the playoffs last year for ESPN radio. But he came off to me like under a pressure, you know, in a pressure situation as just a very sort of even keeled guy uh, because of his physical stature and the fact that he's a former player, I don't think he has any, you know, and there's no intimidation factor, even though he's coaching LeBron James and, and these guys. Tell us a little bit about Darvin Ham. I mean, they started off three and five. Oh, the sky's falling. Well, now they've won five out of six and things are looking pretty good. And he probably was pretty much the same the whole time, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh... – when you're around Darvin, it, it, it bears mentioning that he is physically imposing. You know, he's six foot eight. 
He played front court for the Detroit Pistons, a team that won a championship. He has his bona fides as a player. He has like a deep tenor to his voice. He has a presence about him. Uh, and I, I think the one thing that I've heard most that has resonated with me is someone who's who's been around coaches that have been extremely successful and some that haven't is that his players and, and assistant coaches say he's consistent every day. And so the team could be two and 10, but you still get the same Darvin Ham. Um, you know, we've heard a term like master of panic thrown around about <laughs> a former NBA coach. You don't hear that uh, about Darvin Ham and considering his pedigree and coming from Mike Budenholzer's coaching uh, circle and, and certainly uh, Bud for as celebrated as he was in this league, the, the knock on him was that he was reticent to make changes come playoff time. I think last year you saw a very flexible Darvin Ham as they made their way to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, you know, some might say he might have benched D'Angelo Russell one game too late. You know, you're already you're down 2-0 in the series or 3-0 in the series. I, I don't know. That's maybe um, something we'll never know, um, with the, even with the benefit of hindsight. But other than that, he did make other adjustments throughout their playoff run, um, which tells me that he got kind of the best from uh, Mike Budenholzer and maybe not some of the worst. And, and he's a guy that even when they were facing the pressure and, you know, it, it – it's professional sports. It's not the same pressure that uh, he had growing up um, from a hard scrabble background outside Detroit. At the same time, uh, he's a realist and he knows how you know narratives can kind of poison a, a team and, and take a, a season away from a team with promise. Uh, he stayed very focused here. And, and listen, I mean, the Austin Reeves moved to the bench in response to that uh, losing streak, three-game losing streak to start that road trip, was you know a gutsy one, uh, especially because Austin Reeves is the darling of Los Angeles. Um, you know, the owner, uh, Jeannie Buss, can't help herself in any interview she gives to say how much she loves that guy. And, and that's a real thing you have to consider in when you're making – uh, that decision because you are the CEO of a company as much as you are in charge of the X's and O's when it comes to being the face of the Los Angeles Lakers sideline. So uh, I think he's the right man for the job, um, certainly the right man for the job in, in this moment um, because he can relate with LeBron and AD and, and recognize that, you know, sometimes when you're in your 30s and still playing the NBA, your body's going to feel messed up and you know what i don't need to do uh, a shoot around the day we'll just do a walkthrough at the arena at the same time he'll make sure that the younger players that would benefit from that extra court time um, they do something that he took over from milwaukee something called a stay ready group and so he'll have the the younger coaches meet with the younger players prior to the walkthrough so those players will still get on court reps um, so they're not missing out on their nba experience while he's still protecting the vets now, Dave, my last question on the Lakers for you. Uh, you had mentioned the fact that, of course, the Lakers are always kind of tied to bigger name stars that might be available on the trade market. December 15th is coming up, which will give a lot of uh, general managers a little bit more flexibility on who may be, you know, be thrown into a trade. The biggest name on the market right now that's really kind of swirling is Zach Levine. Do you think Zach Levine being tied to the Lakers is more so just everyone thinking, oh, well, the Lakers got to – be like the Suns or, you know, going back to what you had said about, you know, all these 
three-headed monsters, you know, they, they have to get another star. Do you think it has to do with that, or is it the UCLA tie? I really don't see the fit, quite personally, for the Lakers, for Levine, but would just be curious on the Levine front uh, if you see any potential there with, with L.A., or if you have a prediction on where he could end up. Yeah, I don't have a prediction where it'll end up. Um, you know, I think so many of these things we've learned over the years that you, you, you think Donovan Mitchell's going to New York, he ends up in Cleveland. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I don't have the prediction there. But I, I, I think there's a few reasons why um, people talk about it. Um, you know, one of it, one being his representation. He works with Rich Paul um, of Clutch Sports. Yeah. And obviously, Rich has some major clients on the Lakers, the UCLA ties. And then just the idea of, yeah, he does have a star quality type of game to him. And if you're trying to match the three stars in Phoenix, but I I don't think he, I'm not saying he wouldn't help the team. You know what goes out in order for it to happen. You know, if you are sacrificing your depth um, and your future flexibility with a first round pick and D'Angelo Russell and Jared Vanderbilt or Rui Hachimura or something like that. Well, you know, now you may have filled one hole by having another dynamic score and, and a little athleticism when you, you get your defense going and, and you can score in the transition game, but you're not necessarily going to get your defense going without Jared Vanderbilt on the court. So it, it's right. kind of like, you're going to, you're going to fill one patch and spring another. I do think one position that, um, is kind of lacking from this roster overall, and maybe we'll, we'll see it when Gabe Vincent gets healthy, is that they just don't have necessarily a speedy one or two or combo guard, a guy who can penetrate the paint, um, you know, maybe off the bench, um, that kind of change of pace guy, get behind the defense, spray out to shooters, um, or even be the guy spraying out to LeBron. So LeBron can do that, that move where he basically dives in from the wing and can get an easy dunk because the defense is paying attention to the other penetrating guard. D'Angelo Russell is very shifty, crafty. He's not really beating a lot of guys off the dribble. Um, You know, and I don't know who the guy is that's out there, but when you look in terms of roster construction, a, a smaller type of piece fit into the, the major uh, picture, I think is going to benefit them more um, than trying to, you know, really tear down some of the foundation that they, they built um, from that playoff run a year ago and the off season by retaining some of these guys to go with the, comp- exactly. But basically a completely different look. Um, and it could work. Um, but uh, to me, I, I don't think we're, the Lakers are at that point right now. They are in. Let's look at the next two months of basketball with this team, and see if, as Rob Plink used the term, if our proof of concept um, was worth, you know, um, re-upping. And, yeah. and they'll have their answer. And guess what? If you decide come January fifteenth you want to make a move, there's still plenty of time before the trade deadline. Totally agree, and I definitely wouldn't uh, break up the depth that they have. I think that's one of their big valuable pieces for that team as a plug and play around LeBron and AD. Now, Dave, we really do appreciate your time. Before we let you go, we want to play a quick game called word association with you. So we're going to get Bruce and I are going to give you a quick word. You tell us the word that comes or uh, we'll give you a name. And then you tell us the first word that kind of, kind of comes to mind. Yep. And if you want to elaborate on that, feel free, but I'll let Bruce start us off. 
All right. The first one is courtesy of the aforementioned Adam Stanko, your friend <laughs> of a million years and our mutual friend, Bob Costas. Oh, my gosh. Uh well, I, I guess he wants me to tell the story, not just give a word. Uh, the word would be excellence, excellence. And I did just see uh, Bob Costas over the weekend speaking at an alumni event with Coach Beheim. Uh The story was Adam Stanko, who's you know um, a longtime uh, sports media professional who was kind of my mentor growing up. He was the on-air talent at a television station outside of Philadelphia or in Philadelphia. I lived outside of Philadelphia. I was an intern as a high school student at that station. And Adam's younger brother was a student at Syracuse. And so I had applied to Syracuse. That's where I was. My dream school was going to be. And Adam took me on my first uh, unofficial visit to the school uh, to party with his younger brother and I may have had a few adult beverages when I was um, not quite of age and might have told some of Randy, uh, his brother Randy's co-ed friends that I'm going to be the next Bob Costas. I didn't quite hit that goal, but um, hey, here we are. You're doing all you right. You did all right, Dave. You did yeah. all right. You did okay. <laughs> all right. I'm going media as well. Brian Winhorst. A valuable friend uh, and colleague. Um, I don't. Brian is a maestro when it comes to being able to have recall like that. His institutional knowledge, not just of LeBron James, of course, we all know that, um, but of the NBA is wild. And um, I've enjoyed many long car rides with him um, in between Cleveland and Detroit or Cleveland and Toronto covering a playoff series and, um, you know, just sharing stories back and forth. Or he's someone, if I'm working on a story and trying to get um, a source to speak to, see if he has contact information or many, many things. Um, you know, Brian and I wrote a book together. Basically, <laughs> Brian wrote the book. I was there to learn how to write a book with Brian <laughs> because Brian is is that good. So, um, yeah, I'm lucky to have to continue to work with Brian. Awesome. All right, last last one from me, Jeannie Bus. Um, graceful. Uh, it, it's a very, as you mentioned, Bruce. It, it, it you are ten toes to the fire um, every day. You know, you are the civic pride of of southern california um and because her father set such a high bar uh you know just being successful or just providing a good in-game experience is not enough you got to compete for championships you got to be the best and um you know she has been through some difficult times at the start of her tenure um and and you know i i would never want to have to feel like I had to make a decision to choose against a sibling. Um, but ultimately her job was to shepherd the franchise for the fans. That's what Dr. Jerry Buss um, entrusted her to do. And um, they've been in a pretty good place these last five years and she should be proud about that. All right, Dave, last one from me is actually not a name, but it's an item. And uh, that is sneakers. How would you describe them? And what's your most prized pair? 
Sneakers are a, can I say they're a lust for me? <laughs> like, yeah. There's, there's something <laughs> that's that, like, it, it's a, I, I just enjoy everything. I love the aesthetics. I love the history behind them. I love that a lot of sneaker companies um, ended up retroing pairs of shoes. I grew up uh, one of five kids, you know, lower middle class family. My parents um, prioritized things like, you know, money to go on a field trip and food on the table and clean clothes versus like the newest Air Jordans. Um, and now as an adult, I can actually own some of the, the pairs that I, I pined after when I was in middle school and elementary school. So my favorite silhouette, Air Max One, I think it's perfection. I don't like some of the, the re-releases of it where they have the extra small swoosh on the kind of the, what would you call the toe? Like I, that's unnecessary Nike. If anyone's listening, get rid of the extra small swoosh. Um, uh, and yeah, so that's my favorite like lifestyle shoe, my favorite shoe to play. And I still play a couple times a week because I play in the Kobe's. Nice. All right. Well, if you haven't had a chance to talk to PJ Tucker yet, be sure you do that now that he's in LA. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. It's been an honor to have you on talking some, uh, LA Lakers basketball and uh, we certainly appreciate your time and uh, hope that you'll have some uh, good trash talk for AD um, come the end of the night. <laughs> That's right. Thanks guys. All right. Thanks Dave. All right. Yep, we've reached the it. halftime. We've reached the halftime buzzer. We'll take a quick. And we're back with the start of our third quarter. We're going to do a little three-man weave, but tonight it's a two-man weave, just Bruce and I here, and we're going to be starting off with the Sacramento Kings, who are currently riding a six-game win streak, got back their floor general in De'Aaron Fox here recently, and since Fox returned, they've continued their success on the road. Three straight road victories over the Lakers, Spurs, and Mavericks. Bruce, what's your thoughts on this red-hot Sacramento team? Well, it's all about De'Aaron Fox, really. I mean... He missed two weeks of action, and during the time that he was out, uh, you know, the, the they were stumbling. But since he's been back, you know, they're cruising. He's averaging over 32 a game, which is actually right around his average. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis has been averaging nearly 21 and almost 13 boards with more than seven assists. Malik Monk's been great off the bench, and they got six players averaging in double figures. So I think maybe we might have sort of went a little bit to sleep on those guys when they were two and four. Yeah, and I think they like it when we do sleep on them. I feel like that's when they're at their best. And uh, I think the biggest thing with watching uh, the Kings with De'Aaron Fox back into that lineup is just the pace of play and how much he opens up shots for others around him. I mean, Kevin Herter seems to be playing a lot better with Fox back. Uh, Keegan Murray's been extremely hot from downtown. And, of course, the two-man game with Demonis the, the Sabonis remains almost unstoppable. I mean, those two work in screening roles with one another. It's like pick your poison as a defense. So they've been a lot of fun. I, I've really enjoyed uh, watching the Kings, especially with Fox back. Uh, not sure if you got to see them yet, Bruce, but uh, keep an eye on opening tips with the Sacramento Kings. They have a play now where Sabonis will tip it right to De'Aaron Fox, who's already on the, the side. He's playing defense, but they'll tip it to the opposing side and uh, Fox will grab it and literally take one dribble, Euro step, and try to make a basket within the first three seconds. In his first two games back, they actually uh, succeeded in doing so. He scored on the first in his debut game back, and in the second game, 
he got an and one called on the uh, on the shot. So a really aggressive pace of play right out of the gates from Mike Brown and his Sacramento Kings. I mean, you know, De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Maxey, you know, they seem to have a lot of similarities in their games. I mean, yep. I, I, they got to be the two fastest guys in the league with the ball in their hands. I can't imagine anyone has more speed than those two guys. No, not at all. I think those two guys would definitely top the list. And uh, Ish Smith was up there at one time. Obviously, he's on the the, the older end of things now. Um, but certainly those two speedsters uh, got it going on for their teams, respectively. Now, the second team that we wanted to talk about here, Bruce, the Oklahoma City Thunder. They are currently second in the Western Conference standings at 10-4. and four. They, too, have been streaking, tallying off five straight victories. And get this, of those five straight victories – Four of those five wins coming on the road as well. Well, you know, we might have been slightly sleeping on SAC <laughs> when they were two and four. We have not slept on this team at no. all. They're 10 and four going into Monday. They're the best shooting team in the entire league, over 50% as a team, 41% as a team uh, shooting threes. They're actually a very good defensive team. Oh, oh, by the way, they're dead last in offensive rebounds because they hardly ever miss. Okay, (laughs) so there's a stat that means absolutely nothing as applied to this team. Um, But um, they're actually pretty good defensive team, better than people realize. They're tied for 10th and fewest points allowed. They're third in point differential behind only Boston and Philly. And they're tied with the Celtics for lowest field goal percentage against at 43.5%. And as I've mentioned so many times that you're going to roll your eyes. That's the defensive stat, according to the late great Dr. Jack Ramsey. If you're if you are one of the best in the league at opposing field goal percentage, you are a great defensive team. And they've also had pretty good health. They've had the same starting lineup in 12 of their 14 games. Yeah, health is always important, especially with this group. Um, being one on the younger side, that should definitely play to their advantage. Um, Chet Holgram, not sure if you caught it, but uh, he has been red hot as well. He's really kind of taking the next step uh, forward in his early stages of his rookie year. He hit a huge shot uh, to send the game to overtime on uh, Saturday night against the Golden State and then uh, had another monster night in Portland the other night. Have you had a chance to see Chet Holgram yet on this winning streak? Just just from some you know highlights, yeah. you know, my concern with him was always that um, – he, you know, he's seven foot one and he weighs like 195 pounds. I mean, you know, guys like him and 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 Wemby, you worry about the physical pounding they're going to take. But Chet, somehow or another, looks pretty comfortable in his skin. And I'm sure as he gets older, I mean, what is he still like 21, 22 years yeah. old? Yeah. As he gets older, he'll gain some of that older man's strength and he'll fill out a little bit. But uh, he's just got a really nice package of skills. He's got good footwork. He's good, you know rim protector. I mean, he's just nice. That team is nice. I don't know much about their head coach, Mark Daniel, but it seems like he's raising them up pretty well down there. He certainly is. And he what Mark Dagnall was my uh, coach of the year pick uh, in the preseason show. So that is trending well. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that one. Now, last but not least, the Phoenix Suns. And they have obviously just had two tough games against the Utah Jazz one of which went to double overtime, which they went ahead and uh, won. However, they also got some bad news, Bruce, with the recent Brad Beal injury. Uh, He is going to be out upwards of four weeks. What's your thoughts on this team? Of course, you know, we just had Dave on talking about 
associating them with the Celtics and the Bucks and these three-headed monsters. Right now, this is kind of looking like a big two and a half. I mean, they're six and seven right now, okay? they And as you mentioned, with the Beal injury, I mean, going into the season, I was concerned about the health of this team, but I wasn't really thinking it in so much in terms of Brad Beal. I was thinking it more in terms of Booker's had injury problems in recent years. KD's had injury problems in recent years. But, you know, he's he's probably, you know, Beal's probably going to be out, you know, like you said, uh, four weeks. Booker is back, and they have won three straight since his return. So that's obviously, you know, he's one of the real, you know, he's he may not be the alpha dog with KD, who's just remarkable, but he's 1A, okay? Yep. So as long as they have those two guys, you know, they're going to be in the mix, you know, pretty much every night. And Durant's just been incredible. I mean, holding that team together, you know, keeping the team afloat while these other guys have been hurt. Um, and, you know, that Eric Gordon acquisition looks pretty good right now, I would say, for them, you know, because with Beal being unreliable, Gordon actually has been very reliable for them. Yeah, and that's kind of a surprise. I mean, Gordon was one of the guys I was most concerned about with injury problems, especially at his age. I uh, thought he could definitely wear down. Obviously, they got to be crossing their fingers. He can stay durable throughout this year, especially while Beal is out. But, yeah, going back real quick to Kevin Durant, I mean, this guy right now is certainly in the MVP discussions, if you ask me. 31.4 points per game. That's second in the league. I mean, 7.2 rebounds, 5.5 assists, and he's shooting 52.8% from the field. I mean, I don't know what else you want from this guy. He certainly w- would be right up there for getting one of my uh, MVP, MVP votes. What about you, Bruce? And he's so great offensively that people sometimes lose you know, sight of the fact that he's an excellent defensive player. I mean, he's got long arms. He can protect the paint. Okay. He won't lock you down. Like, you know, some guys might lock you down, but as a team defender, he knows where he's supposed to be. And yes, he is the, he he's just been amazing. And I agree with you. I mean, you know, he, if he's not in the MVP discussion, then I don't know who should be. Yeah. Well, as we head to our fourth quarter here, it's perfect that you you and I are here tonight because we're going to break down and have a game preview for the big Bucks at Celtics matchup coming up on Wednesday night. Two of the top teams in the Eastern Conference going at it, mano y mano. What's your early take on this game just from afar? Well, the luster's off of it for me a little bit because uh, on <laughs> Monday night, the Celtics managed to blow a game against Charlotte in mm-hmm. overtime. They, you know, it was a classic example of a trap game. They played last night or they played on Sunday night in Memphis and they just barely escaped Memphis with a win. Uh, They seem to be, you know, cruising against Charlotte. But then in the fourth quarter, I mean, you know, when you would expect Charlotte to fold, it was Boston that, you know, that they couldn't seal the deal. Drew Holiday missed two free throws with that would have sealed the game in regulation, missed it. You know, Charlotte came down, tied it. And once it went to overtime, I knew Boston was toast. Uh, But be that as it may, you know, look, nobody's going to win every game. If the NBA title were awarded after the first four weeks of the season, (laughs) the Celtics would be the champions. Kristaps Porzingis and Drew Holiday have transformed them uh, into a juggernaut, joining Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Derek White, and Al Horford for a formidable starting six, as I like to call them, because all those guys start. They're now uh, 11 and three, six game winning streak out the door. Uh, but Milwaukee is kind of going in the right direction now, Ross, aren't they? 
They are, and they um, finished off the Washington Wizards here tonight uh, as of taping Monday, 142-129. My biggest takeaway just initially seeing that, the Bucks scored 142 points. That's something they're certainly going to have to do against Boston. Uh, or maybe not 142, but they're going to have to put points up on the board with how Boston likes to score. The trick is, does Milwaukee have the defense to, to really kind of keep uh, a grip on Jason Tatum, on Kristaps Porzingis, and Jalen Brown? Um, I've got my concerns there. Um, this is going to be a true test for this Bucks defense. I mean, 129 points to the Wizards doesn't look too great. Um, but what I think it boils down to, Bruce, and I'm sure you might agree, it's going to take an epic night from Giannis. I mean, Giannis had a great game here tonight against the Wizards, 42 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists. He's going to need another 35-plus uh, night on the road in Boston for myself to see this Bucks team really competing against the Celtics this early into the, uh, the season, especially as Dame's still trying to get going. Chris Middleton actually had an encouraging night tonight, 18 points in 23 minutes of play. So they're going to need to get those guys going. I don't see the Bucks winning this game just because I just don't think they're, they're clicking on the same level as Boston right now. Well, they got a five-game winning streak now after Monday night yep. against the Wiz. And, you know, the Damian Lillard experiment is working just fine so far. The Bucks are 10-2 and two in the games that he's played, right? The only two – he's missed two games. They lost them both. So that tells you that, you know, when he's in there, they're, they're, they're pretty much, you know, you know uh, probably going to win. And Giannis is just Giannis. I mean, there's yep. really not a whole lot else to say about that guy. He's a he's an MVP candidate every year. Twenty nine points, ten boards, and new coach Adrian Griffin, who has had his moments of maybe, you know, gaining experience or whatever. It seems that he's finding his footing. He's using his whole roster. He's got ten guys playing sixteen minutes or more per game. So he's really, you know, he's keeping them all ready. And I would say that that's a good sign for a young coach. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's starting to obviously be open to some feedback from the players themselves, trying to implement some of their ideas. And obviously that comes with time, right? I mean, as the leader of the team, he's got to come in and instruct training camp and get the basic sets in there. But if guys want to put a wrinkle into something or switch things up, I think he's all open ears. And that's an encouraging sign for Milwaukee moving forward. Obviously, you got to trust your players more than anything as a coach. And uh, it's good to see him starting to really kind of implement a lot of the things that they want to do because they're the ones that have to go out there, perform and execute those things. So um, should be a lot of fun on Wednesday night. I guess the last question I have for you, Bruce, is who do you have winning the game? Well, I would I would hope that Boston comes out roaring to make a statement. I mean, after losing on Monday night to Charlotte, and again, Derek White didn't play, Al Horford didn't play. No excuse. I mean, it's Charlotte, right? Yeah. I mean, they 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 had them. So I would say, you know, it's likely Boston should come out, you know, a little bit pissed off after blowing a game on Monday night. So I would say uh, it's going to be Boston on Wednesday. Um, but you know what? They they still haven't exactly, you know, uh, had to look at Giannis with a Dame Lillard next to him. And he, you know, they've had success against him at times. Other times he's torched them. It'll be really interesting to see what their defensive scheme is and, and how they approach, you know, stopping that whole, you know, screen and roll juggernaut. Yeah, what do you for think? sure. 
Uh, I've got the Celtics as well. I think this one, especially being in Boston, is going to be a tough one for this Bucks team to uh, kind of rally behind a, a Giannis charge and and come up on top. But uh, should be a lot of fun. Obviously, this is the first of hopefully many meetings this season. And uh, I think uh, the first punch was going to be thrown by the Boston Celtics. But uh, don't you worry. They got to come to Milwaukee as well. And uh, I might have a, a different prediction for that one. But uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break from this action and be right back with you for best bets and final thoughts. And we're back with best bets and uh, I've got your top NBA game picks for this week. And we're going to start off with Tuesday night. So probably the time that you're listening to this episode, I like the 76ers at home versus the Cavaliers. With Donovan Mitchell dealing with a right hamstring strain, I can't see Cleveland being able to compete with Philly's uh, Philly's offense. While Darius Garland did go for 33 points in, in their win over Denver on Saturday, he's going to have his hands full on both ends dealing with Tyrese Maxey. That leads us into Wednesday night. Philly on the second night of a back-to-back on the road in Minnesota. I like the Timberwolves to bring their A game defensively, having the size to cause enough problems for Joel Embiid. Tobias Harris should be slowed down by Jaden McDaniels. And the Wolves will defend their home court, taking yet another impressive home win, uh, defending their home court against one of the top teams in the NBA. And last but certainly not least, how about a Sunday wild card? I'm taking the Brooklyn Nets over the Chicago Bulls. Nick, Nick Claxton is back and finding his stride with the team, combined with Brooklyn being very well equipped with outside shooting that the Bulls lack. Brooklyn will also defend their home floor to cap off this week. And that will do it for this edition of Ross's Bets Bets. Bruce, let's get to our final thoughts. Thanks, Ross. LaMelo Ball of the Hornets, who had a wonderful victory over Boston on Monday night, has been told to cover up his neck tattoo because the NBA claims it violates league policy against displaying commercial logos or corporate insignia on his body or hair during games. Ball has the initials LF on his neck, short for La France, which is his middle name, but also the name of his clothing line. Now, the league allows corporate advertising on team uniforms, so the practice is allowed when the teams in league get paid. And according to ESPN.com, representatives of Ball and the NBA are expected to keep discussing short and long-term resolutions of the issue. Those should be interesting conversations. Now, This reminds me a little bit of the original Tattoo Gate uh, involving Allen Iverson and Slam Magazine almost 25 years ago. A cover photo of AI was airbrushed to remove his tattoos and other jewelry, which caused a lot of controversy. In fact, when we did an interview with the late Commissioner David Stern back in 2019 on the Mike Wise Show from Pure Hoops Media which was actually the last sit-down interview that David did before he got uh, had his stroke and eventually passed away. Mike had asked him about that, and he told us he was livid when he found out about it because nobody had run it by him, which, you know, wasn't exactly their job, but he just felt that it was inauthentic to portray Iverson that way, and he blew a stack. He, he was really mad. Now, Mike asked him, so did you fire the editor of the magazine? He said, no, I didn't fire him, but... I made sure to give his work extra scrutiny moving forward. And if you know the late, great David Stern, and I knew him pretty well, extra scrutiny from David Stern is not a pleasant thing, especially, you know, and if, if he's not, if he wasn't, uh, you know, uh, 
already comfortable with you, shall we say. So, yes, I believe there's going to be more scrutiny on this situation moving forward as well, because you know something like this is coming up again, Ross. Oh, definitely. And I think the best part of what you just said is the fact that they're going to be working towards something long term. Well, yeah, the tattoo is pretty long term, so you guys better figure it out. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now, for my final thought, I thought I'd provide you an update on the in-season tournament league standings. So let's go ahead and start in the Eastern Conference. In Group A, the Pacers lead the group at 2-0 with the 76ers right behind them at 2-1. The Pistons are the only team in this group without a win at 0-3. In Group B, both the Bucks and Heat are undefeated at 2-0. The Bucks do hold a commanding lead with a point differential as they are plus 18 while the Heat are plus 6.5. And, and the Wizards are the only team winless at 0-3. In Group C, the Celtics are 2-0 with the Nets right behind them at 2-1. This is the only group in the league with two winless teams, and that is the Toronto Raptors, who are 0-1, and the Chicago Bulls, who are 0-2. Now, shifting to the Western Conference. In Group A, the Lakers are 3-0 with a plus-14 point differential, with the Jazz right behind them at 2-1, yet they only have a plus-6.3 point differential. And the Grizzlies are the only winless team in this group at 0-3. In Group B, we've got a tight battle as both the Pelicans and Nuggets are 2-1. Right now, the Pels hold the lead with a plus 7.7 point differential and the Nuggets at plus three. This is the only group in the league where there's no winless team. So everybody is still very much alive in the Western Conference Group B. In Group C, both the Kings and the Timberwolves are 2-0 with Sacramento holding the better of the two point differentials at plus eight to Minnesota's plus five. And the Spurs are the winless team in this bunch at 0-3. So it definitely appears, Bruce, that we're not getting Wemby Mania back in Vegas yet again this year. I still hate those floors, though. They are so (laughs) ugly. I mean, they're just so – and actually, the one in Toronto, apparently, it's very slippery, too, because of that, like, hard black surface. So people have actually slipped – I mean, next year – I mean, look, I'm still kind of juries out with me as far as the whole tournament thing. I never really felt I needed it to be interested in early season games. But – so, okay – it seems that it's doing pretty well and people seem to like it. So, okay, good. Keep it. But those floors, man, those things got to go. They got to just agree. turn the center. The, the center circle should have the NBA cup in it. And then the rest of your floor should be your floor. They they just look better. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm all for trying new things, but this one is definitely a failure as far as the floors are concerned. Now, last question I have for you, Bruce, is, I understand the scheduling and getting the groups in here and how it's all random and, and that can complicate matters with dates and times and things of that nature. But do you also find it rather confusing that like the in-season tournament could be uh, Tuesday night and then your next in-season game is Friday? It just seems like it bounces around too much. It doesn't feel like a tournament. I mean, that's yeah. the whole thing. I mean, because when when the games are basically regular season games that count as regular season games – I don't feel that that's like a tournament. A tournament to me is, you know, you you play a team and you're in a bracket and, you know, people advance and others go home. This to me is kind of a contrived thing. And look, like I said, I wasn't in favor of it. I didn't feel that I needed it to maintain my interest. But if the fans like it and the players are into it, um, then fine, you know. 
But yeah. like I said, you know, it, it doesn't feel like a tournament. It feels like some random games that are going to kind of get thrown into the, you know, uh, you know, bingo machine like the lottery. Mm-hmm. And somehow or another, we're going to end up with four teams at the end that will play in Vegas. So, you know, have yeah. a good time. Well, I think one thing I think we can agree on is that the Vegas play should be fun. I mean, that will definitely be interesting to see the kind of the coverage there and kind of all the things we see on social media throughout that party. So uh, that, <laughs> that could be fun. But for now, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.